Welcome to the Central Christian Church Podcast. We pray this message helps you find and follow Jesus. If you would like to connect with us more, please visit us at centralsj.org. Well, in the midst of all the noise and all the chaos, isn't it nice to know that the Bible declares that you, as a follower of Jesus, are more than a conqueror? That's what, that's what the Bible says about you. And we're in this series uh, through Romans chapter 8, and we've titled it More Than Conquerors. When we come to Romans chapter 8, we come to one of the most prolific chapters in all of the Bible. This chapter begins with, there is therefore now no condemnation, and it ends with, there will never be any separation. Throughout the centuries, scholars and people that love Jesus have dubbed this their favorite chapter, have dubbed it the most life-changing chapter in all the Bible. It was C.S. Lewis who said this, if the New Testament were a mountain range and the epistle to the Romans, it's as high its peak, then chapter 8 is the very pinnacle. Charles Spurgeon says, Romans 8 is to the Bible what Beethoven's Ninth Symphony is to music. It is the pinnacle of all scripture. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said this about Romans chapter 8. This chapter is the clearest gospel of them all, and it is well worth a Christian's while, not only to memorize it word for word, but to occupy himself with it daily, as though it were the daily bread of the soul. What we study today is profound. What we study today has has life-changing implications when we grapple with it, when we meditate on it, when we marinate in it, and then apply it to our lives. Not just understanding it cognitively, but living it out practically. Whenever we come to the topic of God, God is one of the great mysteries in our human existence. And we're thankful that the Bible reveals to us who God is. It speaks to us directly about, about what God thinks about, what God's passionate about, what he desires for your life what his plans for your life really are. But there's some mysteries still about God. There's some mysteries that we will not begin to understand, much less fully comprehend on this side of eternity until we get to heaven. And one of those mysteries is that God is a triune being, that God is three in one. Theologians refer to it as the Trinity. But whenever we come to Romans chapter 8, we see all of God doing all that God does to draw you to himself. All of God doing all that God does to sustain you in your relationship with him. All of God doing all that God does to one day glorify you in heaven for all of eternity with him as his sons, as his daughters. And that, friends, is awesome. In this one chapter, we see all three members of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, working on your behalf. In Romans chapter 8, 33, we see God justifying. It says that it is God who who justifies. We see the Son interceding. Romans 8, 34, Jesus Christ, who died more than that, was raised to life, is at the right hand of God interceding for us. So check it out right now, right where you're sitting. September 24, 2023, Jesus at the right hand of the Father praying for you by name, knows your deepest need, interceding on your behalf. I hope that brings some encouragement to you. When I think about Jesus praying for me, okay, well, then we can face any challenge we're up against. Not only that, not only is God the Father justified, not only is the Son interceding, but he, but he says the Spirit is helping us. Romans 8, 26, likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness. I don't know if you have any weaknesses today, but at that point of need, that's where the Holy Spirit's going to step in when you make space for him, invite him into your weakness, and he'll, he'll help you. 
And as Paul's thinking about this, as Paul's meditating on this, how God the Father's justifying, how Jesus is interceding, how the, the Spirit's helping, it like wells up with excitement in him. He says, what shall we say in, in verse 80, chapter 8, verse 31? What shall we say about all these wonderful things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Like he's for you, all of God, doing all that God does to help you know him, to help you follow him, to help you be the person he created you to be. I don't know about you, but I think that's really good news. And as we discussed last week, when we come to Romans chapter 8, we come to this pivotal turn in the book of Romans. Uh, up to this point in Romans chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, the Holy Spirit's mentioned only one time. But when we come to Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul is going to mention the work and the function of the Holy Spirit over 20 times. Pivotal, pivotal shift. So with that in mind, I want to invite you to stand to your feet with me as we read Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 11. I want you to stand to your feet in honor of God's word. Every week we stand to our feet, one to stretch our bones, stretch our bodies, but to tell our bodies something's about to happen. And when we open God's word, we believe that this isn't just, just uh, spiritual literature. We don't, we don't just believe that this is just another holy text. No, we believe that this is God's word to you. And so as we read Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 11, I hope you open your hearts with that in mind, like God, very God speaking to you directly today. So let's read it. And when we get to the red letter words, I want to invite you to read uh, those words out loud. Here it is, Romans chapter 8, verse 5 through 11 that we'll be studying today. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the controlled by the spirit is life and peace. The sinful is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You see a pattern here. What you think about matters. What you, what you set your minds on, it makes a difference. Verse nine, you, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the spirit. if the spirit. lives in you. And if anyone does not have the of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit, and that's your spirit, not the Holy Spirit, but that's, that's who you are on the inside, is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his who lives in you. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for the tremendous promises laid out in this text. God, I pray that you would open your word to us today and give us understanding, give us comprehension, but God, help us to live it out, that we would be people that set our minds on things that please you, that, God, we would be people who are fully alive because your Holy Spirit resides in us. And may that not only empower us now, may it give us tremendous hope for the future, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, why don't you give someone a high five, then you can have a seat. High five, have a seat. All right, if you're taking notes, this is where our notes begin. I wanna show you two things that the Holy Spirit does. First, the Holy Spirit powerfully works change in us. The Holy Spirit powerfully works change in us. You just need to know when the Holy Spirit shows up in your life, when the Holy Spirit starts working in your life, he's not going to leave you as you are. Yes, we're imperfect people in progress, but the good news, you don't have to stay stuck there. You, you, can, you can experience victory. You can experience healing. You can be an overcomer 
You're more than a conqueror, the Bible's going to say. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is now working in you and through you. And he's not just working when you're in church. He's not just working whenever you're, you're reading your Bible. The Holy Spirit's not just working when you're praying. He's working all the time. He's working in ways that you see. He's working in ways that you don't see. While you're sleeping, the Holy Spirit's at work. While you're eating, the Holy Spirit's at work. While you're driving down the road, the Holy Spirit's at work. You see him sometimes, but most often the Holy Spirit's working in ways that you do not see, helping you to become the person he's created you to be. He's bringing you along. He's producing change in you, rubbing off the rough edges, helping you become more and more like Jesus. Romans 8, 5 begins with this. It says, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. Two interpretations of this text Number one is taking the text at face value. And it's basically saying, hey, whenever you think about things that please your old man, please, another translation is called the sinful nature of your flesh, what your body wants to do, the old fallen you. Whenever you think about things that, that please the sinful nature, you're going to live in accordance with the sinful nature. You think about sinful things, you're going to behave in sinful ways. On the other hand, whenever you think about what pleases the spirit, you think about what God wants. You med meditate on scripture. You memorize God's word. And the more you feed your mind truth, the more you're going to live out that truth. So we could take this scripture at face value, and I think there's reasons to do that. I think even, even general confession as a pastor, when I think about things that please the sinful nature, I behave in sinful ways. I don't like it. I'm not proud of it. But it's true. The same is also true. The more I meditate on God's word, the more I fill my thoughts with God's word, the more I live life in a way that pleases the Lord. Another way to interpret the scripture, and this is what most scholars say throughout the ages, and so we're going to teach from this posture of interpretation of the scripture. Most scholars would say that Paul's not talking necessarily about you as an individual and the way that you think results in the way that you act. But what the apostle Paul's talking about here is two different groups of people. One, a group of people that live life, they think according to the sinful nature, therefore they behave in sinful ways. Their general disposition in life is what I want, when I want, how I want, I'm going to do what I want. The other group that Paul's going to talk about, he labels them as people who live, uh, have their mindset on what the spirit desires. And that's saying their general disposition is that I want to please God. What God wants is what I want. I recognize I'm not the ultimate authority in my life, but there's a higher authority. I'm, I'm under, I'm submitting to him. Now, that's not about perfection. That doesn't mean that, that you're perfect. It, like you don't live out perfectly what God wants all the time. I wish it were true, uh, but it's not. And so, so those who live according to the spirit, have the mindset what the spirit desires, that it's not about perfection, but it is about direction. The overall direction of my life is God, I wanna, I wanna please you. So, so we're gonna teach this text. We're gonna unpack this text from that, that general understanding. So the first thing he talks about is, is this thing called the sinful nature. And what are characteristics of those who live by the sinful nature? Well, well one, they're, they're the fallen, unredeemed, egocentric human nature. People who want what they want, when they want, how they want, disregard everyone else or especially what God might want for them. Two, the, the, the sinful, selfish, unsaved state of mind. And so they're, they're spiritually dead, as we're going to see in a moment. John Bunyan, that's John Bunyan, not Paul Bunyan. Paul Bunyan's the guy with the big blue ox and the, the axe. That's not John Bunyan. A great devotional writer, pastor, he says it's worldly mindedness. And so they just think about things of the earth all the time, short-term short -term vision for their life, short-term purpose for their life, what they want, not submitting to, to God. 
Again, it says this, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. So that's their general disposition of life. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. Let's just pause here because there's a tendency that I have, especially when we unpack a book like Romans, uh, just to go very academic. And there's nothing wrong with academics. I think there's great value in that. Matter of fact, my wiring is to go more academic. Uh, my, my, my pathway, I feel very close to God when I'm learning something. And uh, for others of you, you feel very close to God during worship or doing art or out in nature. And those of us that are more learners don't really understand you. But, but, but that's your pathway and that's great because God wired you that way. Um, but, but my challenge when it comes to a topic like Romans is to say, how do we make this practical? How do we pull this out of theoretical and bring it to the ground? And, and so I want to do that by two questions. The first question I want to ask you is, is what is it that frames up or creates the parameters of what I desire for you? What is it that creates the parameters of your life? Who, who defines the boundaries? Who, who sets the table? What drives you? What is it that determines your goals? What is it that, 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 that makes you want what you want out of life? How would you define that? If we were to sit down, you and I, and just have a conversation, and maybe we had a whiteboard or chart paper, and we were just to list up everything, your answers to that question and those others, what drives you, what motivates you, what determines the parameters of your life, I think we could boil it all down to one of two responses, your relationship with God or your relationship with the world. If your life's all about God, your desires is to live a life, life pleasing to God. Your desires will be reflected in, in your thought life, what you think about. It'll be reflected in how you process your feelings. It'll be reflected in how you, you, what you do with your money. It'll be determined. It'll determine what, what you list as your priorities in life. In the same way, if your desire is to live in accordance with the Spirit, you're a person who sets your mind on what the Spirit desires. But the same is true if you live life, you've set your mind on what, what you want, you live according to sinful nature, then it's all about you. It's all about right here, right now. It's all about short-term gratification, short-term goals. And so Paul's helping us discern where we land on that. Another question I would ask you is, is how do I know I'm saved? Like that's a question I often get asked actually. How do I know? How do I know? And my question would be, have you set your mind on things that please their flesh, your, your sinful nature, or, or things that please the spirit? What's your general disposition? Whenever you blow it, whenever you step into sin, does it grieve you? Do you regret it? Or have you numbed yourself to that activity to where it's just a part of your life and now you justify it and you sweep it under the rug? If you set your mind on things that please the spirit, your life will reflect that. If you set your mind on things that please your sinful nature, your life will also reflect that. And what Paul tells us is that about a person who lives according to the sinful nature is that it's going to do some things. It's going to, it's going to bring you, it's going to bring you down. So I want to give you five characteristics that Paul gives us here in Romans eight of those who live according to their sinful nature. The first characteristic is their minds is set on things that please their sinful nature, things that please the flesh. And that's what he says. Romans five, eight, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. And so that's not to say that people who live according to the sinful nature don't ever think about God, but they're just indifferent to God. They think wrongly about God. Or, or God is on the list, he's just like 10th on the list. Like, like they want him to help whenever they're in trouble, but priorities one through nine take precedence over him. 
for a lot of people who live according to the sinful nature, it's not that they don't ever think about God. Not that God's not on the radar. There's, he's just lower on the totem pole. Second, the mind set on sinful nature leads to death. Romans 8, 6, the mind of sinful man is death. And what he's talking about here is a spiritual death. We, we unpack this when we study Romans uh, chapter 5. But, but it's not that you, yes, you die physically. Like you're gonna, your body's wearing out. Well, let's, so let, if you're over the age of 25, you understand your body's wearing out, right? You start taking a whole lot more ibuprofen than you used to. Things start hurting. You're like, what happened? How did you get hurt? I, I don't know. It just hurts. I, don't even, I didn't do anything. It just hurts, right? And so our bodies are wearing out. That's what, what, what Paul talked about in Romans chapter 5. Matter of fact, it's not only because sin entered the picture, that's why we physically die. It was not a part of God's original creation. Uh, tsunamis, earthquakes, natural disasters, not part of God's original creation. We're going to study later in Romans chapter 8 that the earth is actually groaning, longing to be liberated from sin's effect on it. And so creation itself is going to be redeemed at some point. But as of now, our bodies, because we are tainted by sin, are going to break. They're, they're not functioning properly. And our bodies are, are, are dying. The, the mind of sinful man is death. But he's not just talking about our physical bodies that will one day die. He's talking about our spirit man. And here's what you need to know. Every one of us, we're going to live forever. But, but the reason some people don't comprehend the gospel, the reason some people don't, don't understand what God's up to in their life is because the Bible says repeatedly, repeat, that's, that's replete and repeat at the same time. So replete and repeatedly that, that people who don't follow God, like they're, they're spiritually dead. And when someone's dead, if I, if, if I were physically dead, I'd be incapable of interacting with you. I'd be incapable of responding to the outside world. Spiritually speaking, that's how a lot of people are. They're spiritually dead. So God can be all over their life. God can be working all around them, and they're oblivious to it because they're spiritually dead. Those who are, 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 think about, their mind is set on the, the sinful nature. The, the, the sin, it's, they're dead. There's, the mind of sinful man is death, spiritually speaking, as well as one day physically. Third, the mind set on the sinful nature, it's hostile to God. It's hostile to God. Romans 8, 7, the sinful mind is hostile to God. And we don't have to look very far in our society to see that this is actually true. In our society today, we've become very hostile. The society at large, culture at large, become very hostile to God, to the Bible, and the God of the Bible. What they've done is put in God's place a God that they envision, a God who thinks like they think, a God who feels like they feel, a God who only does what, what they think is right. And here's how this works. I mean, you, you've heard this before. You, sit, you talk to people and you're like, man, this, the stakes are high, like eternity is real. And they're like, I don't, I don't think God would send anybody to hell. Or they say, say I, I, know, I know the Bible says that's wrong, but I don't think God's mad at my behavior whenever I do this. And you say, well, how, how did you land it? Is your, is your, the question, is your God the God of, God of the Bible or is your God just a God you fabricated in your mind? And for most people, it's a God they fabricated in their mind. They've reduced God to simply being a deity that reflects their values. And they're the ultimate authority in their life, which only reveals they're actually hostile to him. They're not going to submit to him. They don't want anything to do with him. Because then they would... They, they couldn't be Lord of their life. They'd have to make him Lord of their life. A lot of people reduce God down to being a force or, or they say God's just mythical. The whole idea of God needs to be gone because people who need God are illogical, intolerant, small-minded, and just need a crutch to lean on. 
all of which underscores our society's become very hostile to him, which only underscores there's a whole lot of people just live life according to their sinful nature. Fourth, the mindset on the sinful nature won't submit to God's law. It won't submit to God's law. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. So you hear people say, yeah, I know the Bible says that about my behavior. Whenever I do this, I know that's wrong. But, and they'll give you a whole lot of list of, of why it's that way. They'll blame their family of origin. They'll be victims of their past. And they say, nah, no, but, but I think God's okay because A, B, C, and D. They don't submit to God's law, which again only reflects that they're, they're under this umbrella of living life according to their sinful nature. Now, I'm not talking about believers that blow it from time to time. I'm saying people that continue in this lifestyle, this rut, it's wrong. They know it's wrong, but they don't care. They just keep going and doing it anyway. Number five, the mindset on the sinful nature cannot please God. Romans 8.8, 8, those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. So we've seen that those who have their mindset on the sinful nature, they're spiritually dead, hostile to God. They do not submit to God's law. They cannot please God. Essentially, what they want from God is for God to be satisfied with whatever they choose to give him. Which again only underscores that they're still the Lord of their life and that Jesus is not the leader of their life. You guys doing all right? Okay, good. Get quiet out there. <laughs> Paul's going to take it a step further. And when we come to any text, it's important for us to try to discern what's the key verse. And in this section of scripture, Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 11, the key verse, the linchpin is verse 9. And here's what Paul says. You, however, are not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the spirit. If the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. And here's why this is essential. Whenever you become a follower of Jesus, whenever you surrender your life to God, the God, very God, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you. Like miracle of miracles. God, very God, comes alive in you. He helps you. He changes the way we think. He empowers us to live life that we could never live on our own. In the Old Testament, you've heard me say, in the Old Testament, God had a temple for his people. In the New Testament, God had a people for his temple. You are the temple. God resides in you. Wherever you go, you're a carrier of the presence of God. Just as it was a, a miracle to, for the priest to be able to go into the Holy of Holies, into the very presence of God, now you are that. And you carry the presence of God when you go to work, when you go to coffee, when we gather as believers in the church. That's why there's so much power in this gathering because to collectively, as, as carriers of the Holy Spirit, we, we gather to worship God, to, to hear what God's word has to say about our life, to, to pray for each other, to help each other, to, to make a difference in this world. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says this, and do you not realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? who is in you, whom you've received from God. I mean, that's why what you do with this thing we call our body matters. Because there's some things that I can do with my body that will suppress the Holy Spirit's activity in my life. And there's some things that I can do with this body that will elevate the Holy Spirit's activity in my life. Same's true for you. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1.13 says this, and do you, and uh, here we go, Ephesians 1.13. Sorry, I'm getting excited. All right, here it is. 
And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So in a gathering like this, maybe in a church setting, maybe it was over coffee, maybe you were in school, maybe you were at work, but someone shared the gospel with you. They opened the word of God and said, hey, here's, what, here's what's true. Man, you've sinned, you've blown it, you've separated from God because of your, your sinful actions. Matter of fact, God's wrath is on you. But here's the good news. Jesus stepped in and he took the penalty that you deserve to pay and he paid it for you. And not only did he pay your sin, but he rose again. And not only did he rise again, he ascended into heaven. So now the Holy Spirit's released to come alive in you. Do you want that? And so it says, in that moment, having believed, you were marked in him with a seal. How were you sealed? With this promised Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit now comes alive in you the moment of your salvation. Who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. The moment of your salvation, the Holy Spirit comes alive in you. Now, here's what's interesting about the Holy Spirit. This is not today's message, but I got something to say about it. So, so for another time, but, but here's what you need to know. Ephesians chapter 1, the Holy Spirit comes alive in you at the moment of your salvation. Paul's going to say this in Ephesians 5.18. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. So, so, so at the moment of your salvation, you get the Holy Spirit, but I just want you to know there's more. God, God wants to fill your life so much with his presence that the Holy Spirit's splashing out all over you, onto other people around you, empowering you, equipping you, dripping the fruit of the Spirit off your life. And so I don't know what you've heard about God. I don't know what you've experienced of God, but I'm just telling you, he's got more for you. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Back to my notes. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, all things have become new. How? Because God, very God, takes up residence in you. Empowering you. Helping you. Helping you love people that you never loved before. Bringing healing to all the broken places where you never thought there could be healing. Restoring relationships that have been so damaged you thought they were beyond repair. As believers, the Holy Spirit works powerfully in us. I want to give you three ways. Paul gives us three ways that the Holy Spirit powerfully works in us. Number one, the Holy Spirit works to change our thinking. He changes our thinking. Ephesians 8.5, or sorry, Romans, here it is, Romans 8.5. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. They've allowed God to set the parameters of their life. They've allowed God to frame up their life. They think about the things that God cares about. They, and that's true for any of us, right? If we're in fellowship with someone, we're friends with someone, we talk about the things that, that are mutual desires, things each other care about. Now, how much do you think I talk to my wife, Tiff, when we go on date nights or date lunches or breakfast, whatever, we go on dates, how much do you think we talk about golf? Not much. Not much. I mean, I could go on with my wife like, hey, whenever the greens, like the grass is growing this way, the putt's going to do this. Or when I come inside, it's going to draw. If I go over the top, it's going to slice. And I think it's fascinating. You know what she hears? Wah, 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 wah. Like she could care less. And I don't know why. I don't know because it's awesome. But because I love my wife, whenever we're together, we talk about things that she cares about. We talk about things that she desires. We talk about things that are mutual. And I think the same is true for us in our relationship with God. The more we think about the things that pleases God, the more we think about things that are God's priorities, 
the closer our relationship with God becomes. Part of our job as followers of God is to discover what God's passionate about. What does the Holy Spirit desire for you? What's the Holy Spirit desire to do in you and do through you? Jonathan Edwards dubbed this term holy affections, that whenever we become followers of Jesus, our, our desires change, our thinking changes. Now all of a sudden we have these holy affections, and whether anyone tells you to do it or not, you're, you're, you just because the Holy Spirit's working in you, your thinking just changes, your priorities change. Whenever I first started following God, uh, there's some things that a month prior I was super passionate about. And then just a month into following God, I could care less about. A year later, even more so. Five years later, even more so. Why? Because God changes our thinking. And the same is true for you as followers of Jesus. You've experienced that. So what are the things that the Holy Spirit cares about? He cares about God's glory, God's truth, God's beauty, God's justice, God's righteousness. The Holy Spirit loves his church. The Holy Spirit is passionate about unity in the church. The Holy Spirit is, is, is passionate about the fame of Jesus, about helping people know God, about helping people find and follow Jesus. If you want, you want the Holy Spirit all over your life, make a decision right now. Say, say this week, man, I'm going to make it a goal. I'm going to lead one person to Jesus. I just guarantee if you make that your prayer, you make that your priority, you're going to find the Holy Spirit orchestrating your steps you're going to find inroads in conversations for you to speak about what Jesus has done in your life because it's, you're coming in alignment with what, what God wants, with what God is passionate about. When we dwell on things that please the Spirit, we have fellowship with the Spirit, and so his power is in our life to bear fruit in our life. Second thing the Holy Spirit does is to create life in us. The Holy Spirit creates life in us. Romans chapter 8, verse 6, the mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life. He breathes new life, makes us new again. I don't know any Christmas fans in here. Anybody love Christmas? All right. If you're like me, like I'm ready for Christmas. Like if, if I were the one in charge of decorations at my house, we would have a Christmas tree up right now. I just love Christmas. Like Michael Blue bring it on. Like Mariah Carey, yes. Yes, all year round, I can listen to Christmas music. I just love Christmas. But, but what's the difference between a Christmas tree and an orange tree? Well, well, Christmas trees are cool, and I love Christmas trees because they got sparkly lights and ornaments. And when I was growing up, I used to throw, like, tinsel on the trees. You guys remember that, that silver string that used to clog your, your vacuum? It was awesome. It looks very pretty. It looks very colorful. But it's dead. Versus an orange tree. How do you know an orange tree is alive? Well, there's fruit, Right? Same's true for us spiritually. A lot of us, we can, we can put on this great show, sparkly, look good on the outside, but is there fruit from our life is a good question. Because if there's fruit, then we know there's a healthy root. But if a tree's not producing fruit, then there's something wrong with the root. And if we're not producing fruit in our lives, we just, it's just a worthy question. What's going on at the root of my life? Because when the Holy Spirit comes into our life, he comes and he brings new life. Not just a little bit, but a whole lot. He produces fruit. I mean, oranges are delicious, but look at what the Holy Spirit produces. But the Holy Spirit, but, what, but the fruit of the Spirit is, is this. And it's not, notice it's not whenever you try really hard. It's not when you white knuckle it. But whenever you get close to the Holy Spirit, when your life's in alignment with the Spirit, when the Spirit's working in your life, 
The Holy Spirit produces love and joy and peace and patience and goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's fruit from our life. Romans 8.10, but if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. So like we've said, man, our, our bodies are wearing out. Our bodies are one day going to die, but your spirit, who you are on the inside, becoming more and more alive. The, the longer you follow Jesus, the more you're going to experience your physical body wearing out. But hopefully you're experiencing at the same time your spirit, man, who you are on the inside, becoming closer and closer to God, knowing more about God, growing more in freedom, living out your purpose more, making bigger difference in our world, because that's what the Holy Spirit does. Paul says this, 2 Corinthians 4.16, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being made new every day. The third thing the Holy Spirit does, the Holy Spirit produces peace for us. Paul says the Holy Spirit, whenever he's in your life, he's going to bring about peace. Romans 8.6, the mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and, and peace. And here's how this works. The Holy Spirit comes in your life and he's going to bring you peace with God. So you can know that even though you've blown it, even though you're, you're worthy to be under God's wrath, he's rescued you from that. And now you have peace with God. And when you have peace with God, you can start to begin to have peace with yourself. Knowing that if God's forgiven me, maybe I can let myself off the hook. If God, if God let it go, maybe I can let it go. He brings peace with himself. He brings peace with yourself. And that allows you to bring in peace to other people. When you realize how merciful he's been to you. You realize how radical his grace is in your life. When you realize how many times he's forgiven you, it allows us to live a little bit more peace with other people around you. He brings peace in your relationship with God, relationship with yourself, and relationship with other people. So first, the Holy Spirit powerfully works change in us. He changes us. Second, the Holy Spirit will powerfully resurrect us. The Holy Spirit will powerfully resurrect us. And I don't know about you, but this is thrilling. I don't know about you, but this is, this is important. Because when we understand how God will powerfully resurrect us, it helps us to better understand how God is presently active and working in our life right now. And honestly, I think we should talk about this more. I mean, we, we talk about it at Easter, and we should. We talk about the resurrection at funerals, and we should, rightly so. But every day, believers in the New Testament reminded them of this resurrection. They had this greeting. You've probably heard it on Easter. But here's, they would greet each other around the calendar. So whenever they, they come up to Mike and I see Mike in the grocery store, I say, Mike, he's risen. And Mike says, he's risen indeed. And so in the moment, while we're buying a loaf of bread, we're reminded of the resurrection. Always in the forefront of their mind, reminding themselves that no matter what challenge you're facing today, there's hope for your future. No matter when this body of mine does wear out, it will not be that Tim is dead. It will be that Tim is now experiencing the blessed hope, the resurrection power of God in his life in real time. I got a text from my mom this morning. My, one of my aunts is, is dying. She's been on hospice. And um, she said, Tim, the, the doctor, they're only giving her a couple hours. And, uh, and that's heavy news, no matter, no matter what season or stage of life you're in. But... Um, but I just responded. I was like, well, I'm so happy for her. I mean, it sucks for us, but I'm so happy for her because she's about to experience the resurrection power of Jesus in her life. 
My favorite passage, one of my favorite passages, you've probably heard me say that a lot, but one of my favorite passages, this is true, Romans 8, 11, every Easter message I've ever preached, I've, I've shared this passage. This is a great passage to memorize. Romans 8, 11, meditate on this truth. Here, here's what it says. And if the Holy Spirit, and that's the question, if the Holy Spirit, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who lives in you. Which lets us know, not just one day when you die will you experience resurrection, but right now you can experience the resurrection power of Jesus. I don't know what challenges you're facing. I don't know what hardships you're up against. But listen, the Holy Spirit of God, the Bible says, is living in you. He who raised Jesus Christ from the dead is living in you as a follower of Jesus. So here's, here's some, some, some fun things to do to get this in your heart, in your mind. If you, if you have an opportunity tonight... This is challenging in San Jose, but, but try to find a spot where you can see the stars. Get outside and just, just ponder. Think about the grandeur of God. The Bible says that by the breath of his mouth, he, he, he created the heavens and the earth. In, 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 in Genesis 1-6, it says, and he also made some stars. It's like an afterthought. It wasn't a heavy lift for him. Billions of stars, some billions of light years away, all by the breath of his mouth. And as you ponder the grandeur, of the astronomy, of, of the stars. Just know that he who did that is living in you. Go to the ocean and, and marvel at the beach and the, the sea creatures and the, the vast variety of sea life and how it all works and how God created the tides and all this to work perfectly. And just know the same God that did that is living in you. Maybe go up to a park, look at the birds, look at the little bugs and squirrels bouncing around the God who created them to function so profoundly is in you. And to that point, that song we declared earlier, who am I to decide what the Lord can't do? Like if he's in you, what, what lid is on your life? What limiting belief have you bought into a lie? God, very God, is in you. He who raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit living in you. Philippians 3.20. And Juan, if you're around, come up and help me preach this. It sounds just so much more mm, whenever there's some music, so we're bringing the music. All right, Philippians 3.20 says this, but we are citizens of heaven. Citizens of heaven. The moment you put your faith in Jesus, you got a new passport. You got access, access to heaven. But we're citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we e we're eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. Look at this. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into his glorious body, into a glorious body like his own. Amen. After the resurrection, what kind of body did Jesus have? If you've read the Gospels, at the end of his, after he rose from the gate, he appears to his disciples and he's like walking through doors. Doors locked, boom, here I am. It's me. Transporting himself wherever he wants. Physical limitations that used to restrain him are no more. And the same will be true of you. Jesus, after his, his resurrection, he, he was recognizable. People could see him. They said, man, I can see the, the scars in your wrist. I see the, the scars in your feet. Like, Jesus, I know that's you, but you look different. Same is going to be true for you. I'll see Sharice in heaven. I'll recognize her. Sharice, I know you. But man, you're looking better than ever. 
It's awesome. Glorified body. Keith, wow. It's awesome. It's you, but like a new you. A glorified you. Jesus, after his resurrection, was eating and drinking. And I mean, what would heaven be like if there weren't some feasting? I mean, heavenly ribeyes, come on. <laughs> heavenly sushi, yes. Food and drinks, too delicious for our earth's existence, and I can't wait. He'll take our weak mortal bodies and change them into a glorious body like his own, using the same power by which he will bring everything under his control. The power of the Holy Spirit is going to empower you to do that. 1 John 3, 2 says this, Dear friends, we are already children of God, which time out. Some of you just need to hear that. A lot of people might be against you. A lot of people might not believe in you. But listen, you're a child of God. God, very God, says, that's my girl. That's my boy. He's mine. I'm pleased with him. He's my child. One of the declarations to combat the lies that I battle in my own mind, one of the declarations I make to myself every day is I'm a child of the king. With my dad in my corner, I cannot lose. Just as I would do anything to help my kids, I know my heavenly father is working even more diligently and effectively on my behalf, whether I see him working or not. I'm a child of God, and you're a child of the king too. Dear friends, we already know that we're children of God, but, but he has yet not, not yet shown us what we'll be like whenever Christ appears. But we know that when he appears, we'll be like him, for we'll see him as he really is. 1 Corinthians 15, 22. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who, who belongs to Christ will be given new life, be made alive again. But there's an order to the resurrection. Christ was raised first, the first fruits of, of the harvest. And, and then all who belong to Christ will be raised back to life. How will he do it? Well, by the Holy Spirit working in you the Holy Spirit that's empowering you, the Holy Spirit that's active in your life, the Holy Spirit that's bearing fruit in your life right now. That's how he's going to do it. Verse 43, our bodies are buried in brokenness. They'll be raised in glory. Come on now. Our body's buried in brokenness. My body's not what it used to be. My body's not what I want it to be but it'll be raised in power. My body's buried in brokenness. I'll be raised, no more glasses, eyes fully restored. Hearing, no more hearing aids in heaven, ears fully restored. Paralegics never been able to walk or run, jumping, dancing, running, fully healed, fully alive, buried in brokenness, raised in glory. They were buried in weakness, but they'll be raised in strength. They were buried a natural man. They'll be raised a spiritual body. Verse 50, what I'm saying, dear friends and dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we'll all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, the last trumpet will be blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will be transformed so our dying bodies will be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies will be transformed into immortal bodies. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Swallowed up in victory. We need to remember this. 
not just at funerals, not just at Easter. The resurrection power of Jesus is activated in you now. 1 Thessalonians 4.16, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and then the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds. That word caught up, the Greek word there is raptura. We get our English word rapture from it. We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, talk about it over lunch. When you grab coffee with a buddy, remind them of the resurrection. When you're facing hard times, remember the resurrection power of Jesus is activated in you. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And how will all that take place? How do we know that's going to be true of us? Romans 8:11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his same spirit. Listen, you're not alone. The God who's one day going to take ashes that have been scattered, the God who's going to take decay body parts, he's going to pull them all together and make a glorious body that can not only withstand the glory of heaven, not only the grandeur of heaven, but the, the, the duration of all eternity. And Paul says that same spirit, that same power is in you right now. You're not alone. Father, we thank you for the reality of who you are.